You're listening to Butter and Jam, a show about food. By and for people who love to eat. My name's Katie. And I'm Amanda. Um, so we like to start off the show by talking about a recipe that we each made this week. Yes. I cooked from a magazine, so it's not quite cooking from a book. <gasps> I cooked from the internet. <laughs> Whoa. So the, but the theory is that Amanda and I have too many cookbooks. And so we try to go through our cookbooks and cook a recipe each week. But obviously we both failed. However, we did cook this week. Yeah. So tell me what you made. Okay. I got. Have you gotten the new Bon Appetit? Yes, issue. but I haven't read it yet. <laughs> so they have a whole salad section, which, oh, as dream. you know, my favorite food. <laughs> And there was this one that really called to me. It was a dinner salad. And it was this like really beautiful radicchio with, um, they had these like really pretty jammy eggs on top mm. and cilantro and like a, um, like roasted cashews on top. I knew there was going to be a nut. So good. But I, when I saw it, steak was really calling to me. So I ditched the eggs and made steak instead because mm. I also have been loving a steak salad. Mm-hmm. But it's it was so delicious. There's a dressing that you make out of roasted cashews and fish sauce, what? and so it's like a creamy spicy. dressing from the cashews. Oh, red chili flakes. Yeah, creamy dressing from cashews. Yum. And then it's roasted sweet potato, and radicchio, and fennel, raw fennel. Um, so it's like really crunchy, and then the sweet potato is sweet, and then the dressing was spicy and kind of sweet. But the steak was was a really good add-in because yeah. it was, like, salty. It was delicious. What kind of steak did you get? I did, like, a flat iron steak, so mm -hmm. it was super thin, easy to cook. I just did salt and pepper. Yum. Cooked it in butter. Ugh. Delicious. Yeah, it was great. We ate so much of it. That sounds so good. My mouth is watering. Yeah. I'd highly recommend. Well, funny story. I also made steak this week. Ah. <gasps> Twins. <laughs> so good. <laughs> um... I made a ribeye, a really big one. Amazing. <laughs> and I was looking up how to cook the perfect steak because, like, you don't want to mess around with it's it. It's tricky. And do you have a meat thermometer? Yes, okay. I do. That's great. Did I get it to the right temperature? No. <laughs> okay. Well, close. <laughs> um, so I looked up Gordon Ramsay has a little tutorial on how to cook the perfect steak, and Bon Appetit has a video as well. But the idea is... Heat up a cast iron skillet till it's really hot. Add some oil, salt and pepper it really well. I guess the Bon Appetit recipe said to like salt and pepper it and leave it in the fridge for a day, but I Who did has not the time? plan ahead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so then when the pan is hot, add the oil, sear it on both sides. And my, so my initial instinct was leave it there and then flip it and then it's done, right? Like only flip it once. Sure. But they both said flip it multiple times. Okay. Because you want to cook it evenly and you want to develop the crust. Mm -hmm. My mouth is still watering. Um, <laughs> um, so but good. then after a few minutes of cooking it in oil, then you add some butter, maybe some chopped garlic, some herbs, and you baste the steak. So you're mm. basting it with the butter. And then the ideal temp for medium rare is 125 to 130. And I got it to 135, so it was, like, medium. Oh. It wasn't terrible. 
that but seems that great. The fat, like the really fatty ribeye, especially on the side, and you kind of render that out was so delicious. Yum. How did you serve it? With some mashed potatoes, delicious, and some some sautéed mushrooms that I cooked in the same pan. Mm-hmm. Deglazed it with a little white wine, mm. salt and pepper. It was really good. That's the mushrooms were the best. Perfect. Yeah. So, speaking of fat, today's episode is all about fat. <laughs> so, what kind of inspired us to talk about fat today? Um. Mike? Yeah, your husband? (laughs) My husband suggested it. I think it's like, it's a really, it's simple, but it's a really deep topic with Mm -hmm. like a lot of layers and nuance. So there are so many things to say about it. There's so many different types of fat. Mm -hmm. And then there's so much like emotional layering with the word fat. Yes. Of of feeling fat or being fat. Yeah. So. We're going to talk about all that. Let's get into it. Yes. History. I, as I've talked about many times, grew up on a steady diet of biscuits made with Crisco. Mm -hmm. So I just was curious, like, you know, Crisco is kind of villainized Mm -hmm. um, by, you know, people like me. I feel fine about not wanting to eat it as part of my regular diet. But I did just want to learn about it because it's, you know, that Mm -hmm. blue can is like been part of my life, my whole life growing up. So, and I think it's really interesting. So it was initially created as an alternative to lard for soap making. <gasps> yeah, because so, that's how you make soap. And because the meatpacking monopoly controlled the lard and the tallow used <gasps> for soap. And tallow is just beef fat hardened. Yes. Okay. And lard is pork fat. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Procter & Gamble were these two guys, brothers-in-law, and they they were, like, trying to get around the meatpacking monopoly. And so they took steps to get control of the cottonseed oil business from farm to factory so they could control the whole process. Mm-hmm. So then they, they owned a bunch of cottonseed mills in Mississippi, and this is, like, early 1900s. So 1907, they with the help of a German chemist, they developed the science of hydrogenation. Great, guys. There it comes. (laughs) Um, So that's how they transformed the liquid cottonseed oil into lard. Yeah, something that resembled lard. Yeah, Mm -hmm. solid. Um, But also vegetarian. Vegetarian. And so it was really popular with Jewish women (laughs) well that was a marketing scheme (laughs) by them so they so yeah they created it it was introduced to the market in 1911 um and then they just like needed to sell it as food because they created it to make soaps from oh right but then there's like well why it looks like lard why can't we just use it as food (laughs) so they landed on the name crisco which is like crystallized cottonseed oil is where the name comes from. (laughs) Um, And then how they brought it to market was convincing the stay-at-home housewife about the merits of it. So they said, like, it's a healthier alternative to cooking with animal fat. Little did they know. (laughs) And more economical than butter, which was, like, such a great marketing scheme. Yeah. And then their next marketing stroke of genius 
um, is that they made their own cookbook and gave it away. <gasps> so there are like over 600 recipes and every single thing contained Crisco. So that's how they started popularizing cookies, it. Yeah. Biscuits. Lobster bisque. What? <laughs> Crazy. Um, and then, so yeah, it's been around for a long time and making people all sorts of <laughs> sick, <Unhealthy>. probably. <laughs> um, and then it was purchased in 2001 by Smuckers, <gasps> who also owns our, my childhood favorite peanut butter, oh. Jif. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's made out of soybean oil. Okay. And fully hydrogenated palm oil. <laughs> the best. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's an interesting history. Yeah. And butter, also interesting history, has been around. Well, food historians say that butter was discovered by nomadic peoples of Central Asia. Um, that it was adopted in northern parts of Europe where rich green pastures were plentiful and milk, cow- mm. milk cows proliferated. Um, have you ever made butter, by the way? I have, yeah. I, for, like... Three seconds thought maybe I could have like a butter stand at the farmer's market <laughs> in Nashville. And so because they're, yeah, I, I made it by just like shaking a jar. Of heavy it, cream? Yeah. Yeah. I and made then I would girl. make it in a, in a um, KitchenAid <laughs> and add in, like I would make compound butter basically. Oh, add in some herbs and garlic. I mean. That sounds great. I made it in Girl Scouts when we visited an Amish community. So fun. And we like shook it up in a mason jar. It is pretty cool as it's a science so experiment. Cool. It's a long time that you're shaking. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and oils have been around for millennia. So people have been making oils um, since at least the Bronze Age throughout the Middle East and Central Asia. And they've been making it from poppy seed, rapeseed, um, almond oil, sesame seed, safflower, and like you said, cotton seed as well. Speaking of rapeseed, yeah. So that's what. So rapeseed oil has like a does have a really long historical use. Uh huh. But in the U.S., it was introduced as canola oil. Yeah, because rape, not a good word to have. Right, but it was also purposes. yeah, totally. <laughs> and it was also like this crop that was used as cattle feed, and then also apparently canola oil or rapeseed oil is one of the few oils that sticks to metal, wet metal. So it was also <laughs> used in um, like World War II ship production. <gasps> so after the war ended, there's all of this crop that they need to find a use for. So uh-huh. this Canadian company created this kind of food use for it. Mm-hmm. And it was introduced in the 80s to America. So canola stands for Canadian oil low acid. <gasps> Gosh, I love learning food names. It's so interesting. Canola oil also typically is really refined. It requires Mm -hmm. high heat and chemical processing. Yeah. Um, But there is expeller pressed canola oil Mm -hmm. that is recommended by people like Samin Nosrat. Yeah. Who we love. We love. And we talked about her last episode, but she has a book called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, and it is basically like a textbook. I love it. It has awesome recipes, but it also talks about cooking and why you're doing certain things um, and just how to be like a self-sufficient, empowered home cook. So her section on fat is awesome, and she has this wonderful pull-out graph or chart Mm -hmm. of 
fats around the world. And when you're cooking with different cuisines, when you're cooking Asian food, you should use those oils that, you know, are popular or or mesh well with the kind of ingredients that you're going to be working with. It makes so much sense. I'd never thought of that before. And I heard her say that on an interview I was listening to because Mm -hmm. I Spoiler alert, haven't read that book. I've just cooked <laughs> like two recipes from it, even mm-hmm. though she wants you to read the whole thing first. Mm-hmm. But I I most often cook with olive oil. So Same. even when I'm making yeah. Asian food, I do that and totally right that it does. It doesn't taste the same. Yeah, it so with Asian foods, you should be using like a neutral oil or sesame oil. If you're cooking Thai food, maybe you're using coconut oil. Um If you're cooking European food, like French food, you'll use butter, olive oil, lard, cream. If you are cooking Caribbean food, you know, you're using coconut oil, coconut milk. So just thinking about and having a variety of oils in your pantry, I think is important um, if you want to make things authentic. But then I think you also need to consider how much you're using the oils because they can go rancid pretty quickly. And what do you think... I think that the first sign of that is just smelling it. Yeah. So um, oil can become rancid from oxygen, from light, and heat. So you should be storing it in a cool, dark place. Um, Definitely smell your oils before you're making that, before you're using them. The worst thing is if you use it in a dish and then you notice it after that it was rancid. You know what? I have this really strong memory of, because we always had canola oil at home Mm -hmm. too growing up. I want to say it was like Weston brand. Does that mm-hmm. sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just never liked the smell of it. Yeah. I think that um, maybe it was rancid or it's also like a very neutral oil, but there's a certain like plastic smell mm-hmm. that rancidity, rancid oil has. Yes. Um, and I just think like we shouldn't be buying these huge Costco bottles if you're not going to go through it fast enough. And just being really mindful of of when you're using it and how much. Um, Yeah, but fat is awesome. Fat creates texture. You know, it can add airiness. It can add crispness. It can add creaminess or a tenderness to pie dough or -hmm. biscuits. Um, It also adds flavor. Like if you're, especially if you're using like coconut or Well, it's so interesting to think about like pairing it with, the type of cultural cuisine you're making yeah. because then you're adding the flavor from the very beginning. Yeah, it is it's it is another ingredient, right? Sometimes we only think of it as a cooking medium, which is a huge part of fat, right? We blindly add it before you're sauteing anything. Mm-hmm. But I think being really mindful of like the flavorness of oil and using olive oil that tastes good too, um, whether you're cooking with it or using it in a dressing, I think is really important to think about like which oil should you use today. Oh, I love olive oil. I know. And I feel like I'm I'm always so cheap and I don't buy like the really expensive like small batch. I don't know. Yeah, fancy I oils. I don't either. It feels like a very special occasion thing. And also, yeah. I think maybe the thing is if you were this type of person, which I aspire to be, is to have a few different versions yeah. because I have my everyday olive oil. Mm-hmm. I also use it in my granola, so I use right. at least a half a cup of that every week or mm-hmm. even a little more because I make a lot of granola. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But then to have a special bottle that's just for like drizzling. A drizzle oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After the food is cooked. Yeah. Definitely. 
first memory? So when I was thinking about my first memory, I don't know that this is actually true, but the thing that came to me was like butter on grilled corn. Oh, yes. Which is like (laughs) the best thing ever. Yes, with some salt. Yeah. Or salted butter. I feel like we would have sometimes. Yeah. So good. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you have the little corn? We never had those stickers. It was what like are those called yeah. stabbers. We didn't. It was like a real hands-on experience. Because <laughs> um, we also, my my dad grew up on a farm, and we always had a big garden, and so we would have a lot of corn, fresh corn, fresh corn. Ugh, so good. Would you just steam it? No. Well, I feel like grill it. They would boil it some, but grill it also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Delicious. Or maybe just mostly boiled. I had a lot of boiled vegetables, but with like butter. Delicious. Oh. <laughs> I always love vegetables. But I also have this kind of bummer memory of being really, really little and being at my grandparents' house and eating just straight butter just so much until I got sick. My friend's daughter did that too. She would just sit at the kitchen table just eating chunks I of butter. I mean, it's delicious. <laughs> yeah. It's everything that your mouth wants. <laughs> it's so, it's so when good. When you're young, especially. And then buttered biscuits was my my yeah. other thing. Yeah. Just butter, butter, butter. Butter, but the Crisco, too, was a huge part of your childhood. Well, but Crisco, to me, was never like a... It was in biscuits, but Crisco biscuits are like... They're not dry, but they're not like buttermilk or butter biscuits. They're mm-hmm. not like really moist. They're just very like... Like a vehicle. Stable. <laughs> <laughs> So Crisco was like a background note. Okay. But then I put a lot of butter on it. Yeah. Well, I'm jealous of your childhood memories because my family used margarine. (laughs) Yeah, we had that too. (sighs) Such a bummer, the 90s. Yeah. Fat-free butter vilification. (laughs) It's a huge bummer. Um, But we also – so yeah, parents used margarine. We also used olive oil. My mom would grill a lot of vegetables on our outdoor barbecue because I'm from LA and we barbecued year round. Um, so we used a lot of olive oil. My, um, my grandmother made these cookies from Crisco. Mm. So these chocolate chip oatmeal cookies that were so good. Cookies with Crisco do oh. just inherently have the best texture. So it's they so, also you can't mimic it with anything else. Yeah. They don't spread as yeah. much. So they kind of stay in their mm-hmm. shape and that, yeah, the texture is like really tender and soft. It's, they're really perfect. Yeah. And then, so my my mom would host Passover dinner every year. And so she would make matzo ball soup and you have to use chicken fat for that. Mm. Schmaltz. Mm-hmm. So that was another fat that we would have in the house. But unfortunately, margarine was around. And I, <laughs> I also remember, um, you know, we were talking about the, the word fat. And I was an overweight child and I saw a dietitian when I was in the third grade. Um, I was very, I remember the first time that someone made me aware that I was fat. I was walking in the hallway um, in elementary school and this younger kid walked by and just like called me fat Mm. walking by. And like, that's something that really sticks with you when you first realize how other people perceive you. And so the word fat, I think, weighs really heavily for me. Um, and I think now there's a huge movement of sort of reclaiming that word and not having it be such a negative word. People are born in different sized bodies. Fact. There are people that have more fat than others. And if we just use it as an adjective, like skinny or tall or, you know, 
anything about someone's body, I think we kind of neutralize it and we make them feel better about it. Um, And another thing is, I don't like it when people say, I feel fat, Mm -hmm. because fat isn't a feeling, right? Like, are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling uncomfortable? Are you feeling happy? Those are words that we can describe how we feel about ourselves. But saying, I feel fat, I really think that people should, you know, think twice before they use that word. Um, But also not having it be a negative word anymore. Like, it's just another adjective. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a... Long road to hoe, yeah. as my yeah. parents would say, yeah. <laughs> to get there. It's so, um, I mean, it, there is a big shift, mm-hmm. but it is it is a long cultural undoing of yeah. the way that we perceive people. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, there's a new show on Hulu called Shrill that both of us watched, mm-hmm. and I loved it so much. I think that we need to see people in larger bodies on TV and just living their lives and eating just because they want to eat and not because it has any social connotation to it. Like they're, oh, they're, you know, eating cake because they're feeling sad. Like, no, they're just celebrating and eating cake, period. There's my favorite scene is when A.D. Bryant, the main character, is, you know, she just spent a night with a man and she's in the kitchen eating some leftover pasta, just joyfully eating this leftover pasta. It and like very good. It did. Also. And we never see that. We never yeah. see fat people just eating and not not having that um, social commentary. Well, and even like there's often on shows or just the way people eat, be eating the way it's portrayed. Yeah. There is usually some kind of commentary that goes with it, no matter sure. what mm-hmm. their body is like. Mm-hmm. I remember also listening to an interview about Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, the show on Netflix. Yeah. And there's in the fat episode, Samin is eating a gelato. Yes. And she's just like enjoying so happy. the fuck out of it. <laughs> yes. and loves it so much. Yeah. And I just remember hearing them talk about it in a like typically in cooking or food shows when someone is eating something really indulgent, there's this like, it's my cheat day kind of attitude Uh, about it. Yeah. So that also was kind of groundbreaking, right? To see a woman, especially. Especially a woman eating food. Just enjoying food without any subtext of, oh, this is all I'm going to eat today. Yeah. Or I'm going to go work out later. When in Uh. Rome, literally. (laughs) But, But there's nothing like that. It's just like, yeah. Oh, I'm enjoying food because I love food. Yeah, let's change that, shall we? <laughs> Lab. So, um, so many different directions that we can go in. Because I think when I think of fat, you can think of like the chemistry behind fat and what fat can do to different foods. It can make it crisp. Um, it can create emulsions. It can create like this creamy texture that we were talking about. But, um, you know, for crispness, which you talked a lot about, you know, like eating fried chicken or mm. eating some 
so good. <laughs> Delicious, crispy food. Um, you know, for food to become crisp, the water has to be trapped in its cells, and that water needs to evaporate. So water evaporates as it boils. So the surface temperature of the ingredient, it has to climb above the boiling point of water, which is 212 degrees. So in order to create that crispy crust, you have to have direct, even contact with a heat source and a cooking medium. Um, so like shallow frying, like putting it in a caster and skillet, heating up some oil and letting it sizzle that way, um, or obviously deep frying. Um, but it has to reach that high smoke point. So what is smoke point? Um, that is the temperature where the fat decomposes and transforms into this gas. So have you ever like forgotten about a pan that you put on Ooh, with yeah. oil and then it kind of smokes up and disappears? Um, so that's the smoke point. And that's why a lot of people talk about the smoke point when they're frying that you wouldn't want to use something like butter or olive oil. You would want to use a neutral oil like um, canola oil or grapeseed. That has a higher smoke point so that it can reach those higher temperatures. Um, and it's interesting, too. Like, I've left a pan with olive oil too long. Mm -hmm. And then you can't. It's just, it like, it denatures it. Yeah. So you're breaking it down in a really negative way. Yeah. It's best to just dump it out and start over. Yeah. <laughs> Wipe the pan, maybe wait 10 minutes. Maybe wait until the pan cools <laughs> down too. But also, side note, another thing I learned from salt, fat, acid, heat is to heat your pan first and yes. then add the oil. Absolutely. Crucial. Yes. Although, avoid with Teflon because yeah. it's... Did we talk about this recently? No. Um, I don't think I have any Teflon pans anymore. Yeah, me either. We So... We just use like a stainless steel pan or mm -hmm. a cast iron, which can both be heated safely without an oil in it. But Teflon is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, anecdotally, have a friend who had a roommate who was heating up a pan, a Teflon pan, and he forgot about it. And the chemicals from the pan <gasps> killed her bird. What? <laughs> That's not where I saw that it's story going. Horrible. It's actually it's like toxic fumes. <laughs> it's terrible. It's really bad. So anyway, just be mind just do research be and be mindful of the way you cook. But interesting to I have noticed a difference in in things that don't stick or mm -hmm. it's just easier. By preheating the pan and pre then adding the pan the oil. And then adding yeah, the things oil. won't stick. There's as much. more control. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and then the oil won't it, the oil has less time to sort of, like you said, decompose and evaporate. Yes. Um, emulsions. Do you make salad dressings? Yes. And so emulsions are when two liquids that don't normally like each other, they will dissolve to join together. Um, and it's usually between fat and water. So these tiny droplets of one liquid will sort of um, immerse into another. And these are things like butter, ice cream, mayonnaise, mm -hmm. vinaigrettes. Um, but also if you're making a vinaigrette, you can add some mayonnaise or mustard to sort of oh. speed along or expedite that emulsion. emulsion. So good. But mm. what, what's required to make the emulsion? Just whisking? Sh usually shaking, shaking. or yeah. whisking it? Shaking. Shaking. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also if an emulsion breaks, like if you're making a mayonnaise or you're making a vinaigrette that you don't want to break. So that's when it kind of like 
separates. I also saw this a lot when I was working at a bakery and we would make ganache, which is heavy cream and chocolate melted together. Mm. Um, You can slowly whisk in boiling water into the mayonnaise and that will help bring it together. Or what we used to do is heat up a little bit of heavy cream and then add that to the ganache and like whisk Mm -hmm. it furiously. And that definitely helps. Have you made mayonnaise? I've never made it. No, I... Well, never. <laughs> I just so my friend Ashley, she's amazing. She makes these really beautiful things all the time. I notice from Instagram, mm-hmm. um, but she makes it with an immersion blender. Oh, so I it looks like the world's easiest thing. She just like whips it up. I mean, yeah, that sounds great. I like um, Sir Kensington has good mayonnaise so or Empire good. mayonnaise. Yeah, there? yeah, yep. Anything else in the lab that you want to talk about? Um, nutrition. <laughs> well, I mean, do you with nutrition? I feel like they're, you know, saturated fat can sometimes lead to atherosclerosis or cardiovascular disease. Um, so just making sure that you're having a higher consumption of mono and polyunsaturated fats, which are the ones that are liquid at room temperature. Um, I think that overall, in terms of eating food that's satisfying, fat is super important Mm -hmm. for that. Um, I notice it when I have like fat-free yogurt or a yogurt that has a lot of fat in it. (laughs) Did you just just cry? Yeah. You're (laughs) you're saying historic? Okay. Historically. Not anymore. (laughs) Um, It's not as satisfying. So fat is a huge part of feeling satiated. And so I think that that's really important. And then you end up eating less of a food if something is more fulfilling like if you have reduced fat cheese versus like a piece of really good blue cheese you know that's going to be more satisfying to me than like a cup of fat-free mozzarella (laughs) so sad and also there's I mean if you're eating a fat-free thing that's not supposed to be fat-free right your body's gonna look for that elsewhere yep so that is part of why you just keep eating yeah exactly so it's it's double it's a double bummer. <laughs> totally, one hundred percent agree with that. But don't be scared of saturated fat. It's no, delicious. I, yeah, I, I think. <laughs> look, if you're not eating it every night, I think it's absolutely fine. And we just talked about cooking steaks. Like that stuff is delicious. So mm-hmm. keep eating it. Eat what makes you happy. Eat you eat some fruits and vegetables too. <laughs> yeah, have a your steak with a delicious salad. Eat this here. So New York, so much to eat here. Um, I love going to bakeries. That's like one of my Mm. favorite things to do in Mm -hmm, my downtime. mm -hmm. So I just thought of some of my favorites, like Dominique Ansel's Bakery in Soho, and then he has a place in the West Village as well. He obviously makes the cronut, which is fine. (laughs) (laughs) So much shade for the cronut. You know, it's a lot. So it's a croissant dough that they form into a donut so it has a hole in it. And then they fill it with like a custard or a jam and dip it in frosting. I think that it's just too much for one person. It's just a lot of filling. But they do make this pastry called a Queen Amon. And that is basically croissant dough with cinnamon sugar that they like. Imagine baking it in um, like a muffin pan. So you're kind of folding it up. And so you get this like really crispy outer layer and then it's still doughy in the inside. Oh, so that's obviously made with butter. Delicious. Um, 
My favorite ice cream place. What's your favorite ice cream? Van Leeuwen. Van Leeuwen is your favorite ice cream. It just, it recently got to the top. It's so delicious. Mm. What's your favorite flavor? Um, I really like their Earl Grey flavor. It's so nice. It's really good. But I went recently and had some seasonal flavors. I can't even remember what they are now, but I was like, I'm in love with it. (laughs) Do you get the dairy-free one? No, I, so I don't. I don't love dairy-free ice cream. Yeah. If you don't need to eat dairy-free, why? Yeah. It's like, they're, you know, I think theirs is not bad. Mm-hmm. It's good for, for dairy-free. Um, but there's also... Use. Oh, cashews, It's cashew, yeah, mm-hmm. which is really nice and creamy. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically, I don't know about theirs, but in a lot of dairy-free ice creams, you have to add a lot of oil right. to compensate. So... You know, then you're just eating a lot of yeah. oil. I would rather just eat dairy. Yeah, if mm. you can. Delicious. Um, I like Ample Hills better. It's so good. It's the flavors are more fun. They have so many different. They have this like salted crack caramel ice cream. That's it's a caramel ice cream with is it caramel ice cream? Yeah, yeah. With chocolate covered like, saltines. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> so good. It's like the last time I had that, my throat was burning just from from all the sugar. Yeah, but it's. <laughs> So good. <laughs> and they have an ooey gooey butter cake ice cream. So we had a pint of that recently. Ugh. And it was like some bites I felt like it was like eating butter. It's just <laughs> it was so the cream so is so rich. dense. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the the chocolate milk, chocolate milk and cookies. So it's chocolate ice cream with Oreo cookies. Mm. That's really okay. good too. Um one of my favorite bakeries in the city though is Bread's Bakery. And it's near Union Square on 16th Street and yes. 5th Avenue. And I think it's an Israeli owner because they have a lot of Israeli um, dishes, <laughs> baked <Pastries>. goods, <laughs> pastries. <laughs> um, but they have these barekas, which are like a flaky dough filled with spinach and feta, or they have one that's just potato mm. or um, one that's just feta cheese that's really good. And then they're famous for their chocolate babka. So that's, that's delicious. Very too. delicious. <clears throat> yeah. I'm pretty sure it's butter, but maybe it's not because I don't know if they're kosher or not. I don't know how that works. So I'm gonna say my favorite bakery is Arcade Bakery, <gasps> which is yes. such a special treat. And yes. they have a babka that's kind of rotating flavors. Mm-hmm. It's um, a hidden gem. It's, it's in Tribeca. So good. Yeah. On church? Mm, chambers. Chambers. Yeah. It's like Chambers and Worth. It's like in an office building. Yeah, it's just really follow the smell. <laughs> I guess they also make pizza, so the whole thing smells like like a Sabaro at the mall, but in a really good way. Um, but there, this babka is so special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they have I think like a pretzel baguette too. Yes. Oh delicious and they're only open monday through friday until 4 p.m and it's like if i ever owned a bakery yeah i would make that my hours too totally (laughs) no i will not work the weekends no (laughs) and just i know we've covered this before a long time ago but since you brought up fried chicken bob white in the east village is my favorite fried chicken place i still haven't been there it's great i haven't been in a couple years probably since our since our episode about fried chicken yeah maybe not but my memory of it is that it's very good (laughs) make it yourself 
Okay, so because everything has fat in it, if you're not a monster, (laughs) (laughs) I just, the first thing that came to me, so funny, is making clarified butter for popcorn. Oh. Which is not something I do, but something that Mike does. Yeah, we didn't even talk about ghee. Yeah, so ghee is butter with the milk solids removed. So you heat up butter, Mm -hmm. let it go, let it go, and it starts kind of getting foamy, and then you scoop up the milk milk solids. solids. And then you can leave it in the cupboard. You don't have to refrigerate it. Yeah. And and the milk solids are what gives butter a lower smoke point, right? So you Mm -hmm. can cook. Yeah, you can heat it up higher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and it just has this, like, really amazing flavor. Flavor. It's so good. It's very good. So, we we buy ghee often, but if you need just a quick little thing for your popcorn, you can just make it quickly that to order. Great. It's so delicious. I love that. The first thing I thought of was pesto, mm. which I honestly haven't made in like a year. But olive oil is a main ingredient and basil or whatever kind of herb you have, um, whatever kind of nut you have, garlic. Also a fat. Nuts. Yes. (laughs) Right? And cheese. And parmesan. Also fat. Fat is everywhere. Mm -hmm. God, I love cheese. I eat cheese once a day. It's so good. I just love it. Um, Another thing I really love pastry-wise that I like to make sometimes is an olive oil cake. mm, Yes. Just so like a citrusy, yes, light crumb. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that light crumb. <laughs> it's delicious. Fat, so versatile. I think we might do more than one part, more than one episode on so fat. There's part, so many layers to fat, but ah, this is just like a croissant. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Butter and Jam. Subscribe on iTunes and visit our website, butterandjampodcast.com, for recipes and restaurant recommendations.